You're listening to the Cornerstone Chapel High School Youth Ministry. Let's head into the service for this week's message. Let's get started. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. The book of Hebrews chapter 6. Or as Mr. Bone at Loudoun County High School would say, bing, bang, boom. Hebrews 6. Is he still there? Then no one got that joke. Okay. Let's move on. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 5. We're going to backtrack. Last week we talked about Jesus being our great high priest. Before that was a Sabbath rest for for a people of God. Before that is Jesus greater than Moses. Chapter 1 is about his deity, Jesus as God. Chapter 2 is about Jesus as Jesus the man. He is both God and both man. He is not half and half. He is fully God, fully man. And chapter 3 to now, up to here, we have talked about how Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. He is our rest. And Jesus is better than any high priest. He is our great high priest. And now today, it should be an encouraging topic today. It's about hope, our hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And a lot of people today are hopeless. They don't know what it's like to have that pure truth of having hope of Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven. And I hope that this, I hope, I'm going to say hope a lot, I hope that this encourages you on this topic of hope that you can go share this with your non-saved friends and say that there is hope. Because the hopeless, they have nothing to look forward to. They have no, what, what is in store for me? What's out there? Like, I, I need something more. And Jesus gives us that hope. He is our hope. And the, the term for the anchor of hope, that's found in Hebrews 6, 19. For those of you who were at camp a couple years ago for summer camp, that was our theme verse. The anchor for our soul. Remember that big anchor we had at camp? That comes from here. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, we're going to get into that. Our anchor in our souls as our hope. And it's, it's just a typology, it's just imagery that the writer of Hebrews uses. That we need to have this hope as firm and secure as an anchor from a ship at the bottom of the ocean. And you guys know what an anchor is, I hope. You've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, you've seen Master and Commander, you've seen those movies with anchors. And what do they do? They, oh, lower the anchor! Ahoy, matey! Unload the cargo! And they lower the anchor. Just go with me. They lower the anchor, and it catches coral, a rock, or something at the bottom of the ocean, and it holds the ship fast and steady. And we need to see Jesus as our anchor for our souls. How this hope we can have can be firm and sure. We don't have to be drifting. Chapter 2 talks about drifting. Even Christians can drift. We can start wandering away. We can start getting away. If we don't have that anchor firm and secure, we will start drifting. Any ship is going to start drifting without that anchor. And I, and I love it because you can, you can use that imagery of, of real life and apply it to our spiritual lives. This anchor we can have. And if you don't lower the anchor, 
you're going to drift. It's just human nature. And God knows that. So let's read chapter 6. Let's backtrack a little bit, though. Go to verse 11 of chapter 5, because it'll explain going into chapter 6. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. If you take out your pens, can you underline that verse? You are slow to learn. No, I'm kidding. That's applying to you guys, right? Right? Oh, I'm just kidding. It's me too. I... Okay, whatever. <laughs> you guys are slow to learn. The, the reason the writer's saying this is because the people in, in the book of Hebrews, the Jewish Christians, the Jewish believers, knew what it was to be saved, knew who Jesus was, but they were just slow. It just took a long time. They were kind of dull of hearing. And they were drifting back into the old Mosaic law. They weren't drifting, and they weren't being secure now in Jesus that he fulfills the law. They kind of drifted back into their old ways, and they're just like, what is this whole stuff about Jesus better than Moses? So it was slow for them to learn. And the writer of Hebrews is he's writing some pretty substantial, packed stuff about who Jesus is. And so if you guys are just like, what are we talking about here in Hebrews? Just remember this verse. Just If you're slow to learn, it's okay. We're going to get you back on track, okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 12. In fact... Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. This is just spiritual language. You need milk, not solid food. And it says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I love that. Look, new, newborn babies are going to have milk. You're not going to give a newborn baby a steak. And you guys laugh at that because it's true. You're not going to give, here, little Johnny, nine months old, have a steak. Well, he'll probably go after it and just start munching at it, but he'll, I mean, it's, it's dangerous. He'll, he'll choke. I don't know. He, it's just not, you can't, he can't take that in just now. He needs milk. And then once you get older, a 13-year-old is not going to be sucking on a bottle of milk. I hope a 13-year-old is going to be eating some steak and pizza, okay? That's what he's saying. It's, it's just it's weird when you think about that. And that's what he's saying. Look, the spiritually immature, those who are just new believers, need to have the milk, the, the milk of the Bible as infants. But the mature, solid food is for the mature. And I hope most of you, if not all, are in the mature category. If not, that's okay. You work your way from milk to steak, and it's great. We need steak, okay? Milk's great too. But let's move and let's leave the elementary truths of Jesus Christ and move on to maturity. And that's what chapter 6, verse 1 says. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Let us go on to maturity. Let us grow up as Christians. Let us press on. We don't need to stay back and say, well, I know Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's great. Do you, do you know any other verses by any chance? Like, let's, let's study our word. Let's, let's fellowship with one another. Let's be in constant prayer. Let's grow up as Christians. You know, Jesus doesn't want us to just stay as that kind of new believer infant, if you will. He wants us to move on to adulthood, to maturity. And so it's just a good reminder for us. And so for today... The three things that I have found in chapter 6 was, number one, we just talked about maturity in Christ, going from milk to solid food. Number two, we're going to talk about how everyone 
all Christians are called to ministry. And I'll touch base on what that really means. All Christians are called to ministry. And then number three, taking hold of the hope that we have in Jesus. That's the third topic, the third theme of this chapter six. Moving on to maturity. Once you're in maturity, you are called to ministry. And that word ministry, just diokonis, the Greek word, it just means service. Everyone is called to service. We're going to get into more of this. And then after that, taking hold of that hope, that anchor for your soul, firm and secure. Taking hold of it. Do not start drifting. And so let's keep reading. Go to verse, um, skip around, go to verse 7 of chapter 6. And let's keep reading. It says, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. You can circle the word blessing. It says, verse 8, But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. He's given a little imagery of, of soil, of farming, with good soil and bad soil. Good soil that receives in the rain, that produces a crop. It's a blessing unto the Lord. Again, it's just the imagery. It's just the spiritual imagery that the writer's trying to say. And those who aren't mature, they're soil, but they produce thorns. They produce thistles. And thorns and thistles were always just a, a type of like sin, a type of just unrighteousness in the Bible. And it says the farmer's not going to use the thorns and thistles. He's going to cut them off, and he's going to burn them. It's useless. So those who produce thorns and thistles, those who haven't gone in maturity, those who are still drifting away, look, God sees that. Look, I don't want thorns and thistles growing in your life. I want you to produce a crop that is pleasing to the Lord, that is a blessing unto the Lord. And I love that. He just, he, he just wants each one of us to receive in the rain, if you will, and produce that blessing to the Lord, a blessing to others or that we can be blessed but a lot of us sometimes will produce those thorns and thistles. And it's, it's not good. They scratch you. They hurt. They're like, no one likes to fall into a thorn of thorns and bushes of thistles. It's painful. If you've ever ridden a bike and then just, well, I haven't, but I heard a story about a friend who rode a bike down a hill. Small, long story short, he wiped out and landed into a bushes, bushes of thorns. Sorry if I'm laughing. It's just, he's okay now, so you can laugh. But it's, it hurts. Thorns and thistles hurt. We do not need to be producing thorns and thistles in this life. We'll be, be producing a crop and going on to maturity. All right, now you got that image in your head. Okay, let's go to verse 9. Verse 9. It says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. And look at this. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. There's that word hope. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. That... that Faith and patience, inheriting what is promised, that's a reference to Abraham. And he's going to talk about Abraham later. But we already touched base on Abraham, how he, was, he had faith, he was patient for the promise of his son Isaac. Isaac came 20 years later. When God promised you're going to have a son, Abraham, I want you to move to a distant land. You're going to be a new people. You're going to be a nation unto me. 
I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to others, and you're going to have a son. The son, Isaac, did not come until 20 years later. Talk about patience. We need to have this same patience-like and this faith that Abraham has. But I really want you guys to look at verse 10 again. How it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. That's the number two that we're talking about. Everyone's called to ministry. Everyone's called to ministry. Now notice I did not put the definite article in front of the ministry. Everyone, all Christians, all you and me, are called to ministry, but not all Christians are called to the ministry. There's a difference. Ministry, again, is that Greek word dianokis, and it means service. When you become a Christian, you are called into that service unto other people. The Bible's all about fellowshipping, encouraging one another, lifting up one another, confessing your sins to one another, being there for one another. We are all called to service as a Christian, to the unsaved, to the saved, to the lost, and reaching out to those. Me as well. All the pastors out at, in, in here at Cornerstone as well are called to service. But there's a difference. But not all Christians are called to the ministry. What do I mean by the ministry? Well, here at Cornerstone Chapel, we have pastors. We have elders. We have a staff. We have a body. The pastors are called to the ministry. As myself, I was called at a young age. The Lord spoke to my heart. He said, I want you to go to the full-time ministry. Now, as a Christian, if I didn't go into full-time ministry, I would still be in ministry as a Christian, serving one another, being there for one another, being a witness to the lost, and being in that unity of the body. That's why it's called the body of Christ. We're serving one another, and we're serving those who are lost. We're all called to service. We're all called to ministry. And verse 10 says that. It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them, as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We are called to help. And if you're a Christian and not using that service, that ministry of serving one another, then you're almost just a a clanging gong and and just a symbol that Paul talks about. You're just walking around. You know you have Christ in you, but Christ wants more. He wants you to have an overflowing of his love to others so that other people can see that you are Christians and ask what is different about you. Or that you can have encouragement with other believers. You can go to Bible studies, book studies. It just doesn't have to be Sunday and Wednesday night. You can have fellowship with other believers, building each other up, continuing to help them. We're called to ministry. We're called to service. But not every Christian is called to the ministry. A lot of Christians are called to other occupations in life, other jobs, doctors, teachers, athletes, or just in, in the government world, in, in anything, in the business world. And that's great. We need those Christians in those types of jobs, in those careers. And I love that. But not every Christian is called to the ministry. And I'm not going to get into deep discussion about this. If you want more, you can, you can talk to me or the leaders. But it is a deep, intimate calling that Jesus tugs on your heart. You don't want to miss out on that. But if he's not tugging on your heart to go into full-time ministry, you, you don't follow that. You go where he has led you. You go where you've prayed about, where your desire is. But you are all called to ministry, to service, to serving one another. That's being a Christian. We are not just hearing the word, as James says. We are doing what it says. There's a twofold to being a Christian. 
And so let's keep reading. Um, also, I want to touch base also on this verse 10. Perfect example of this is found in Matthew 25, verse 40. You can write that down. I don't have it up there. But Matthew 25, verse 40. And it's the parable of Jesus talking to his disciples about any of those who have helped the least of these, who have clothed the nakedness, who have given food to the poor, who have given water to the poor and the needy. And basically it's a parable of of Jesus saying, if you've done to the least of these, you have done unto me. And that's what Hebrews 10 says. It says, he will not forget the work and the love you have shown him. That's Jesus. The work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. By being a servant, by being in service to one another, you are actually blessing and you're committed to the Lord. You are doing it unto the Lord. And in in Matthew 25, verse 40, it's the parable and the people will say, well, when did we ever see anybody needing clothes? When did we see you needing food? When did did we see you in prison and and wanted to be uh, someone to come and visit? And Jesus says, if you've done any of that to the least of these, to the needy, you've done that unto me. And that's, that's a great reminder to us that what we do to the least of our brothers and sisters and helping those, we are ultimately helping God. We are blessing God. We are pleasing him because we are doing his work. If he has called you as a Christian, he wants to send you out into ministry, into service. So let's keep reading. And... Uh, Again, that hope in verse 11, that's the first hope that's mentioned out of chapter 6. The word hope is found three times in chapter 6, three times, the word hope. That's the message that the writer wants to get across. And it says here, I want to finish up, it says, We want you guys to show the same diligence to the very end and to make your hope sure. We don't want you to become lazy. And a lot of us can get lazy. You can say, I just just don't feel like doing this. I'll get it to it tomorrow. That's it. No, it's, it's today, it's now. We do not want to become lazy. It, it, it's just human nature, though, and we have to be reminded by this. I mean, in chapter 2, why did the writer say, hey, do not drift, don't start drifting away? Well, why did he have to say that? Because he knows, and God knows, that we as Christians can start drifting away. We can start leaving our firm foundation and start ah, wandering off to something else. And so the writer in Hebrews chapter 6 says, I don't want any of you to become lazy, but imitate those who had faith and patience and were diligent to the end, to the very end, to the day you die. Be diligent unto the Lord. Don't become lazy. Don't become sluggards and couch potatoes. But do what God has called you to do. He doesn't want any of us to miss out. He has a plan and he has a purpose for us. And if he has called you, he wants you to fulfill that calling. Don't become lazy. Don't start drifting. Don't start getting all anxiety and and worrying about everything. Be that diligent Christian into his service. And let's keep reading. And we'll go to number three on this, taking hold of the hope. Let's look at verse 13. Here's Abraham mentioned. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently... Abraham received what was promised. That was his heir, his son Isaac, waiting patiently. It says, verse 16, Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. 
God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope, you can circle that word hope, offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope, there's that word again, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There's that word again, hope. Appeared three times in chapter six. The Greek word for hope is elpis. Elpis. Sounds like a Norwegian name. Elpis? It's not, though. It's a Greek word. And it means, it means basically hope or expectancy. You are hoping for something. You are longing for something. You are expecting something. That hope. Make that hope sure. The ministry we have serves as a source of hope. We are ministering to others. We are in service to one another because we have that hope of Jesus and the hope of heaven. I hope you guys do. As Christians, we can rest assured that our hope is firm and secure in Jesus Christ, that he is never going to leave us nor forsake us, that he's going to fulfill every promise he has for us. But we know people out there are just longing for something more. And it's, it's sad. I mean, you can see it in their, their body language. You can see it in their eyes when you talk to that person. You just know, man, I just feel bad for that person. I just feel like they have no hope. They have no hope. Either something bad has happened in their life or they just are worrying about the future. Look, when, when Jesus comes into your life, he gives you that peace. He gives you that hope that you can have that you're going to be with him forever in eternity. I hope you guys have that. It's such a peaceful, it's a calming relationship that we can have with our Savior. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, and I'm not saying trials and troubles are going to ever go away. They're not. It's a journey. It's not like a little sprint and then you're done. You're on a journey in this life called Christianity life. (laughs) Christianity 101 basically is live this life to the fullest on your journey through trials, through struggles, through tribulations. But in in the end, you have that hope firm and secure in Jesus Christ that you're going to live with him forever and forever. Amen? Amen? Amen. We need to have that hope. Anchor for our soul. Firm and secure. Deep down in the depths of the sea. We can have this hope. And so, let's take a look. I have five things I want to look at as having um, true hope. Of what it means to have hope. And what, it, what hope calls for. Five things that you guys can write down. True hope, that pr- what pr- it produces. And it's going to be a lot of verses we're going to go through. You can just jot them down. You don't have to turn there. I have them written down. But true hope and what it produces. I found this just studying the, the book of Hebrews. What true hope can produce in your life? Number one, it's purity. It's purity. You know, Jesus, the Bible always talks about Purity, having a pure life, having a pure life unto God, whether it's morally, whether it's sexually, having that pure life unto Jesus. Is there a stink bug up there? Yeah, I see it. I saw all your eyes go. Just ignore it. Oh, it's gone. Okay. I hate stink bugs. Okay. Purity. It's found in 1 John 3.3. Jot this down, 1 John 3.3. It says, everyone who has this hope, this hope, same Greek word, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure, that he is Jesus. 
Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. The Bible always talks about imitating Christ. If Christ is pure, we need to imitate purity. Hope produces purity. Number two, it produces patience. That's a big one. Who in here struggles with patience? Big time. Yep, I can say very high for me, patience. Double hand, fist pump, just waving. Yes, patience. (laughs) Rock on, patience. It's hard. It's hard to be patient. But having that hope, true hope, produces that patience, and that's found in Romans 8.25, and it says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Having hope of heaven, having the hope of Jesus Christ, it produces patience. It should produce patience for us. Because we know in this life, this is not our home. If we are Christians, this is not our home. Paul says we are citizens of heaven. We are passing through this world, and our destination is ultimately heaven. But in this life, our hope has to produce patience. Got to be patient in life. Got to be patient with people. Got to be patient with your parents. Got to be patient with friends. Got to be patient with your internet. If it's slow, even though it, you got, I mean, you guys didn't have internet growing up like I did in the 90s, uh, very slow. You guys don't know what slow means. And we thought that was fast. Who remembers the internet with very slow going through the landline and, okay, some of you do, made that weird sound? So, it's very weird. Now it's just, hey, it's there. Thank you, God. But now when it takes five seconds, we're like, hurry up! (laughs) I want to see this YouTube clip, and it's taking forever. Five seconds is not fast enough. Be patient. Be patient. And he's back. Please don't get distracted. If anyone, if it comes close, just kill it, please. (laughs) Number three, number three, we're going to close with this. After these five verses, number three is fulfillment. True hope produces fulfillment. It's found in Romans 5, verses 4 through 5. It produces fulfillment. Hope in heaven, hope in Jesus produces that fulfilled life. Nothing else can fulfill that void that you have. And you know what void I'm talking about. There's something in every human soul that longs for something. So they look into drugs, they look into alcohol, they look into boyfriend or girlfriend, they look into this or that, whatever is going to fulfill that void, but in the end, it only leads to disappointment and destruction. Well, I thought this would help, I thought this would fulfill me. Look, I know it's Christianese and everyone says, no, only Jesus can fulfill you, but I don't know how else to say it, it's true. Jesus Christ is the only one that's going to fulfill that void, and after that, then you can find that boyfriend, girlfriend. You don't have to look for this or that for fulfilling. You can have a true relationship with Jesus Christ first, and that hope of him should produce fulfillment. And it's found in Romans 5, 4 through 5, and it says this, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Hope does not disappoint us. People, things will disappoint us. 
not hope in Jesus Christ. It will never disappoint. It will never fail. Number four, joy. True hope produces joy. Romans 12, 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope. Out of an everlasting hope in Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven, it should produce joy. Happiness is great. Happy, happy, happy. It's okay being happy. But happiness kind of lasts a little bit and then it goes away. Joy lasts a lifetime. Joy and happiness are two different things. We can have joy in the Lord that one day we're going to be with him in heaven and that he's going to take us from this earth to be with him for eternity. But happiness is just something momentary, momentarily because you can get happy but then you can get sad the next day. But in your sad state, you can still have that joy that you are firm and secure in Jesus Christ. And number five, stability. Colossians 1.23, it says, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. That anchor, that anchor, deep down in the depths of the ocean, firm and secure, we can have that hope. And I really want you guys to not just listen to me and then take it and be like, that was great. I want you to reach to your community, to your schools, to your jobs, and tell them of this hope you have. Don't be a dull, lazy Christian. Be an excited, joyful, happy, happy Christian, knowing that your hope is firm and secure in Jesus Christ. Because one day we're going to be held accountable for what we did here on earth. And I know that I've talked to my friends who aren't saved, and then later down the road, I regret ever not telling them the gospel. Yeah, and I'm guilty of that. I'm not perfect either. Friends that I knew in high school, I had the best chance of telling them the hope that I have, and I didn't do it. And I felt guilty, so guilty. Lord, I am so sorry. I'm praying for that person right now. But I miss that opportunity I had. Pray that we don't miss that opportunity of the hope that we have, that we can share it to others. And as we just said, number five, it produces stability. When you have that hope, you're going to be stable, you're going to be pure, you're going to be patient, you're going to be fulfilled, and you're going to have joy in this life of having the hope of Jesus Christ in your heart. These two verses I want to leave you guys with. It's found in Psalms 34 and Psalm 119. It's of David writing these Psalms. Hope is found a lot in the Psalms. Hope was something that David had to cling to because he was running from Saul for his life. And in Psalm 34, it says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And Psalm 119 says, You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. I have put my hope in his word, in the Bible. Look in the Psalms. You're going to find more verses on hope. I want you guys to walk out of here knowing the hope you have as an anchor for your soul. It's firm and secure, not drifting away from what the Word tells us, but staying firm in His truth of His Word, having that hope of heaven that one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. It's going to be a glorious reunion. I can't wait. Hope to see you all there. Let's pray. (laughs) God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the book of Hebrews and... Just this hope that we can have as an anchor, this image of an anchor for our soul. I pray that we don't become lazy, that we don't become weary, that we be diligent.
Christians in the ministry, in this ministry you have for us here on earth, to be servants, to go out and minister to our friends, to, to produce faith and joy and purity through this hope we have. You are our hope, the hope that one day we will be with you in heaven. This is not our home, and we thank you so much, Lord, for sending your son to die for us so that one day we could be with you in heaven. We thank you for your word now. Go before us through schools and work and families. Bring us back safely next week. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. For additional teachings and to learn more about the Cornerstone Chapel Youth Group, visit us online at cornerstonechapel.net.